I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. So, after an exciting weekend of rugby, round three of the Six Nations is done and dusted. Ireland continuing their winning ways by beating Wales. Scotland retaining the Calcutta Cup for the fourth consecutive year. Yes, that is fourth consecutive year. And there was last-minute drama in Lille where Italy were merely inches away from beating France. Meanwhile, England A were in action, putting on a dominant display over a Portugal 15 and showing Steve Borthwick the breadth of talent eagerly waiting in the wings for the national team. Joining me to discuss and debate all things rugby is, of course, the guru himself, Steve Cording. Hi, Steve. Yes, let's talk all things rugby and not football this week. Okay, why, why, why would that be? Well, I think you don't want to talk about football either, do you? I After yesterday. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, um... Yes, yeah, Saturday's trip to Old Trafford was not a successful one, let's put it that way. And I think you had a similarly unfortunate trip to Wembley this I did, did yeah. You? I just wondered when one of my teams were going to win at the weekend. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but in my day, I went to watch Chelsea beat Man United in the cup final with the Didier Drogba goal in the last few minutes and then on the Sunday Wasp beat Toulouse in the European Cup final so you know yeah, that, no, that's what you call a great sporting weekend this, this weekend was completely different it was so I, yeah, so I went up to Manchester with my son Alfie on Saturday watched United lose then watched England lose on the coach on the way home then Alfie lost his cup semi-final on Sunday morning uh, so yes it was a, a pretty Tough weekend to take, Ooh. but yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, let's talk more positively. Our special guest this week was originally due to be with us before Christmas, but picked up a little injury and couldn't make it. So I'm delighted to say he's with us now. It's Harlequin's winger and scorer of a hat-trick. Not just one try, not two, but three for England A in that game against Portugal. Caden, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. A uh, bit bad and bruised first 80 minutes for a while, but no, all good, thank you. Excellent. Now, obviously a handful of players have already been capped. Um, you had quite a young team, really, didn't you? Um, uh, lots of players knocking on the door for a place in Steve Borthwick's squad. Uh, I mean, I guess it's, um, you know, we've got to balance it a bit. It wasn't a full-strength Portugal side, certainly not the one that beat Fiji in the World Cup. But it's still, having been in your position a few times, it's nice to get a run out in an England jersey against an international team, no? Yeah, definitely. And I think to chuck a load of young boys in together in a different environment and you have three training sessions together, so to come up and produce a performance like that, yeah, we're all pretty happy with it. And I uh, obviously know George Skivington very well from my playing days at Wasps. He was the coach, uh, along with uh, one or two of his assistants. I mean, you know, your coach week in, week out very well at Harlequins. Sometimes it's nice to hear different voices and just see how things are, d- are done a bit differently. Yeah, definitely. And George was definitely overseeing everything, but the likes of Sam Vesti at Northampton, who obviously they've been ripping it up and attack. So yeah. to get a different kind of view from from him was pretty nice. And then Don Waldock, obviously at Gloucester as well, just to get different people's opinions on things and how, how they see it through their eyes is, yeah, yeah, it's always helpful as a player. Yeah, and I suppose there's limited things you can do in three training sessions. So <laughs> yeah. it's just a question making yeah. sure that they've got a few moves that involve you. Really, yeah, isn't it? exactly. 
exactly. And uh, unfortunately, they did. I mean, were you... Uh, Anything Van der Merwe can do, you can do as well, right? Is that what he's <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't quite run as far for your no, three tries, exactly, did you? No, exactly. No, more walk-ins, yeah. <laughs> um, now you've been involved in Steve Borthwick's squad, yep. and you know, you've know you had a couple of injuries to contend with, which happens to us all. Um, you're obviously quite keen to get back in the England mm-hmm. squad. Do you wait for the England coach to phone you, or do you, do you pick up the phone to the England coach and say, um, listen, I mean, obviously not now because he's busy and preparing, mm-hmm. but do you keep that dialogue open, or is it just a question of just playing your way back into contention? Yeah, definitely, I think. When I came back, well, I did my MCL on my knee right at the start of the season. I had a good chat with him then about what I need to improve on and what kind of things I can work on. Biggest things, obviously, getting back fit. And then when I did my ankle again, I kind of knew what I had to work with. But yeah, Steve's very much about keeping that dialogue open. Is he? Yeah. Um, That's good. Contacting different coaches if you want to work on your defence, contacting Kev, Simfield. So yeah, it's, it's very much an open dialogue. Were you at Loughborough University for the three days that you were away then? Were you? Yeah, that, so that we were up there on? most of the week and then we went and did a captain's run at Welford Road and then we stayed in a hotel just next to And that. did I hear right on commentary that you had a game of cricket? Is that right, while you were up there? Or not, no. Um, we had a game, of, we did a bit of cricket in the team run. Oh, you um, did? Yeah, Sam Vesti's all about getting touches on different kind of balls, so it was all and you yeah, clean, a bit of cricket. And you clean-bowled Alfie Barbary, is that right? I did clean-bowl Alfie Barbary. That's great how that's got around. <laughs> yeah, you won't be happy that that's got around. Is there yeah. a social media clip for that or not? I don't yeah. hope so. So, I don't know. I, I'm not sure, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to think there Speaking is one. Speaking of uh, social media, I mean, obviously, having gone away on international duty, you, you know, the players from Quinns would focus on that. But do you, do you all still keep in contact with each other on a WhatsApp group in terms of the international players that are away, or or is it very much you probably don't hear from them when they're when they're gone? We've got a pretty close squad, so yeah, I feel like we all keep in yeah. contact. We do have a big Quinns group chat, but I feel like it's more the individual connections. So yeah, we'll be messaging them, seeing how the camps going, hoping they'll all be playing in on the weekend. It's um, a it's a weird time though, isn't it, at the moment? Because you you're off to. Portugal this afternoon with yeah. the, for some warm weather training. We're not jealous at all. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's, there's actually no rugby at all going on this weekend. Top flight rugby, obviously mm-hmm. at lower level, there's still games. But it's probably the first time that's ever happened during the Six Nations, isn't it? So how, how do you keep that motivation going? Well, especially he's just come back on? from an yeah, injury. Exactly, so think, well, yeah. He's desperate for a yeah, game. There's no game to play. Yeah, I think that was the most frustrating thing for me. Got back, got on the bench against Leicester, played 20, 30 minutes, and all I wanted to do was carry on that run. But yeah, unfortunately, there was there was no rugby. And but, I guess the only the only game that you could have played in for Quinns was on Friday night and you couldn't play in that because you were playing for England Day exactly so. yeah well at least I got 80 minutes under the belt in this one but I think some boys have played 17-18 games in a row since the start of the season yeah. so this break's probably come at a good time for them whereas yeah it was just a frustrating time for me and you're there for a week in Portugal yeah. Do they give you a bit of a who you're rooming with or, or do you know what, what's going on? I think on? we're staying at Browns. So I think it's like little apartments. So I okay. feel like they'll try and they'll probably keep all the back three together or the prop. Well, hopefully yeah. they will because I don't really want to be with a big snoring prop. But, um, <laughs> so hopefully I'll be with all the backs. Which same, old, nice. same old, same old, same <laughs> old. Yeah. Although I actually room with Josh Yusefa Scott and he was the silent sleeper this week. Honestly, so yeah. Honestly, you move, in with, you, move into, you move in with one of the backs, man, literally. <laughs> they, set, they set up shop in the bathroom and you've got a little shelf for yourself. And they, they put all their products out there. And then, and then there's a tiny little space in the corner. What are you for trying me. to say? It takes pride in his appearance, <laughs> and you don't. You I mean, didn't no, care. No, no, that's Danny Care. Maybe I'm thinking about yeah. Danny Care. I mean, I obviously don't need any hair products, and so no. you ta- you taking your golf clubs or not? No, I'm actually not. I'm not a massive golf, but I think there's been a golf day book for the boys. We've got one day off. No, honestly, so. honestly, you can't take, you can't take the play. You, <laughs> you take your golf clubs. I just come back from injury. Yeah, just rock up with my clubs. I reset. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, to be fair, we used to, we used to do that. I'll never forget. Clive Woodward took us down to. Uh, uh, 
a training camp with, with the Royal Maroons. <laughs> and, we, and Clive's there with the brigadier on the front lawn, just preparing. And uh, Matt Dawson walks straight up to him with his golf clubs. See you in four hours. Yeah. <laughs> which is obviously just a joke, but uh, Clive didn't see the funny side of that. No, well, funnily <laughs> enough, not. So, what what will you do when you, when you get some downtown out there? I mean, I guess the weather's probably quite nice uh, and warm. Sunbath, is it? Sunbath, yeah. Yeah. Probably the backs will be sunbathing, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think, yeah, there's a golf day booked. I think we'll just head down yeah, to the, the beach, beach yeah. yeah, and just enjoy a bit of winter sun. Yeah, mm. it is nice yeah. there. Portugal's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, and then I guess, well, I mean, at what point do you think um, everybody will start clicking back into club gear? Because we've obviously still got well, another three weeks three of weeks, Six yeah. Nations before we, we start going again. And obviously you've got um, Saracens, Saracens, isn't it? The first yeah, game back. So it's a pretty, stadium, pretty yeah. gig, big game to yeah, start definitely. with again. I mean, will it feel like another pre-season? Yeah, I think these next few weeks are going to be pretty tough. Mm. Um, but I think different teams have gone about these six, seven weeks in different ways. I think we've obviously front-loaded our two games against London Scottish and Munster, and now we've got these three weeks just to prepare ourselves. Mm. Some teams have got, I think Northampton have got Stormers and stuff in the coming weeks, so I think they've got games leading up to it. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, these... It's quite hard for these guys because, you, you know, you, you as coaches, you've got to think, well, how many players are going to be involved in the Six Nations? You know, how many aren't? You know, what do we do with the ones who are involved when they come back? You know, do we put them straight back in the team. You know, it, it's it's almost like you're looking at it on a on a week by week basis, really. I mean, it, you know, once the Premiership starts again, which is in when three weeks yeah, time, three four weeks, weeks time, think, yeah. you've got a block of seven games, and then that's it. It's, yeah. just, it's a straight run through, and you've almost got to pick up where you left off, haven't you? And hit the ground running. Where, where are Quinns at the moment? We're they? second in the league, yeah, so yeah, so, we want to keep that. Yeah, momentum I mean, that's, going. Fant- that's fantastic, really. So it's mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky to be honest. Mm. With you. Should we uh, should we touch on Murrayfield? Now, I'm not expecting uh, Kate to uh, have too much of an opinion like you have, Mr. Delalio. But um, you were quite positive yesterday, I thought, in your um, your Sunday Times column compared to uh, some of the, the vitriol, shall we say, that's coming from other uh, areas today. Was it a positive yeah, performance? Listen, I, no, listen, the results are everything in, in rugby. Do you know what? It's easy when you see a result like that to think that England are just the worst team in the world and Scotland are world beaters. But uh, as we all know, that the uh, the margins are a bit, a bit finer than that. I think England had... Emotion. They had passion. They started the game with real ambition. I just think they overplayed a little bit. You know, mm. England at the minute are damned if they do and damned if they don't. They played in the World Cup. You know, with I mean, attack for England used to be two phases: boot the ball up in the air, see you later. You know, which if a winger, not, it's not particularly <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now that nearly got us to a World Cup final and probably <clears throat> would have won us a World Cup final, but. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to play like that, so everyone's having a go at England. They then change the way they play, and you know they made 22 mistakes. <laughs> so you turn over the ball 22 times against a decent, very decent Scotland team, and you're going to make mistakes. So on the one side, I was actually really pleased with England because I knew that you know with with the backstory of what happened with Jamie George leading up to the game, yeah. I thought that they showed you know, tremendous courage and ambition. Unfortunately, they just overplayed a little bit. It needed some of those experienced players just to stick to the game plan because when you go 10-0 up away from home, you shouldn't be losing by the margin that you were. No, well, Maratoji has uh, said that post-match in today's coverage that uh, the game plan was ignored and that they started playing hot potato rugby, which obviously is what accounted for 22 turnovers just looking at England though going back far enough I mean I remember in the the 1991 World Cup as far back as then that England were accused of playing boring 10-man rugby to get to the World Cup final then tried to play an expansive game and lost the final to Australia. Now, is it is it always been this way for England? No. Are they always caught no. betwixt between? Not really, or do no. you, do, I mean, 2003, the great thing about that team was they played the conditions. You played yeah. the conditions and that's the way you played. Whereas at the moment, we seem to be intent on going, 
This is our game plan. We've got to stick to it. Can't change it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a balance, isn't it? Test match rugby is about good defence, good set piece, you know, but also just building your way into the game, mm. um, you know, and keeping your error count down. I mean, England didn't give that many penalties away. I think five or six in the game. You know, set piece was good. It's just the turnovers, you know, and the most vulnerable defences come from turnovers and the mistakes that we made in knocking the ball on and just presenting the ball to Scotland was... was thing. And I just think, I, don't, I mean, I'd be interested to hear Caden's point of view. You know, when you break down the components of any game of rugby, you've got set piece, hmm. you've got defence, you've got all these things that you've got to deal with, you know, special teams. How much time do teams actually spend on attack? Because, you know, and, and focusing on the attack, because the challenge for any coach when you've only got a limited amount of game time is where can I make the most gains? Well, if we have got a good, strong set piece and a good, strong defence, then that's where we spend most of our mm. time and all. And then we go to attack. Whereas actually, certainly on, in the WASP team that I played in, less time on the set piece, which is, you know, sometimes can be your undoing because we used to, lo- you know, lose a lot of scrums and lineouts, But... When we had the ball, we knew exactly what to do with it. Yeah. Um, I'm just interested to see what, what that balance is like at, at club level, for instance. Well, yeah, at Quinn's, I think we're probably pretty similar to that Wasps team. I think attack is in our DNA. I think yeah. with Nick Evans running it, we have a lot of our fo- a focus on attack. But like you said, in this modern day rugby defence and set piece is such a big battle, especially when you step up to that test level. So I think there probably is a huge emphasis on that because ultimately set piece and defence can win you test matches and you can play almost that boring brand of rugby and win games by kicking it a lot. But I think you have to have an emphasis on that transition because like you said, when defences are at their most vulnerable, you need to be ready to take those one, maybe two opportunities that you do get at the highest level because there aren't many. No. You just need to be ready to be able to take them when they're on. Which is what Scotland did. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, first of all, for, for all our Scottish listeners, um, uh, those well, those living in England, anyway, <laughs> um, a credit to them because they play very well. And they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're a better side than I think people give them credit for. You know, tough World Cup group. And they're probably, in terms of their selection, in terms of their coaching group, they've probably had the most um, stability in the last sort of 12 months. You know, everyone else has sort of changed a few coaches, changed a few players, and, and therefore, they're you know, they look good. I mean, they do look good. They probably should have beaten France and they'd be going into St. Patrick's Day, uh, you know, with, with a Six Nations showdown against Ireland. So, mm. uh, but it is now getting... You know, it's getting painful for English fans because well, I think we've won one out of the last seven Calcutta Cup matches. Which, yeah. uh, what, what, what do you think of Duan Van Der Wehr as a as a player? And what do you think of his second try? It's the wingers club. Is that what he's? Yeah. I mean, I've seen you. Obviously, you, I've seen a couple of tries that you scored like that in the corner when you've had a defender coming yeah. across. Never when there's been nobody there. Have you tried yeah, to put he it down? Must, I think he must practice it or have it in his head. He's used to doing those finishes. So I think rather than eliminate the risk of trying to dive in, and Tommy Freeman was coming across to try and knock him into touch. I think he just maybe a bit for the cameras as well. Probably. I think <laughs> it looks a bit brave, cooler. Brave boys to put the ball down with one hand. I'll tell you what. Now, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I've never. Well, in the old days, never, that wouldn't, never, that, never, it wouldn't have been a try because he'd no. have been in, t- in touch, wouldn't yeah. he? Touching the yeah. flag. So. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, phenomenal player though. No, but then again, you look at that game on the weekend, and Scotland did only have three or four moments. Yeah. They just took every single one of them. I think yeah, if you yeah. look at the match on a whole. I don't think they didn't dominate like us as much as their scoreline probably suggests. It was just those three, four moments with when you got players like Finn Russell, Hugh Jones, yeah. Duane van der Merwe, and they took their moments. Well, their red zone efficiency was was unbelievable. Yeah. It was four points per entry mm-hmm. versus um, two for England, which mm-hmm. which says it all. But to your point, Lyle, I mean, just looking at the numbers there, I mean, in terms of 
carries, meters made, scrum success, line-out success, England were ahead. Yeah, yeah so, no, they played well. I mean, the thing is, if they'd have played like they played in the World Cup England in those conditions, they could have easily won that game. Hmm. But they're obviously, you know, they're trying to add layers onto their game. They're trying to improve the attacking structure. I just think 10-0 start, great. But then we just went, we, we almost got a bit too carried away, a bit too pleased with ourselves and just started throwing passes, that, you know, all over the place. I mean, Ollie Lawrence is a fantastic player, but every pass he got... Well, one, one wanting to touch. I was well, just no, like, you I mean, never I just do think, that. You know, I think we just need to simplify the game a bit more in attack until you start to develop layers. We're not Ireland yet. We, you know, we haven't got that kind of cohesion and that that game understanding. Just, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, you know, in, our, in my day for England, the backs used to have about 36 moves, or 38 moves, and they used about three of them. Mm. <laughs> the same ones, because the same ones are the ones that work really well, yeah. you know? So, I don't know. Well, uh, we'll get I'll, Nick Porywell, the uh, Evening Standard Rugby correspondent, on in shortly to talk about the game. But would you make many changes? Just for the no, Ireland game, not really. I mean, what, I mean, what, I mean, what's? I mean, what do you say to those? Apart from bringing Caden Burley, <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, yeah, I would be making a few changes. Um, no, uh, you know, as I've said many, many times in my life, you need trust and consistency. You need to trust a group of players. And you need to be consistent with what they... Just spend a bit more time on attack is what I would do in training. <laughs> but also the players, in my opinion, and there are enough senior players in that group. Maritoji must be, I don't know, is he in 80s or 90s caps for mm. us now? You know, you've got Jamie George, who was magnificent at the weekend, even to play that game in the first place. Very courageous after losing his mother, Jane, to cancer. Um, you know, George Ford, there's a lot of experience in that group. And the only question I'd be asking if I was Steve Balthwaite, I'd be pulling all of those senior players in and saying, guys... You're in charge on the pitch. What were you doing? What were you thinking? You're 10 up. You know, one of you or a few of you have got to bring it in and just stick to the game plan on the field. You know, you don't want to hear Maritoji saying afterwards, well, we, yeah, we went away from the game plan and, uh, and we started throwing the ball around. You've yeah. got enough experience now in that group Yes, it's a young squad. Yes, there's new coaches. But come on, guys. I mean, it's your your responsibility on the field to stick to what, we, what we've discussed. And they should be having a bit of a look in the mirror themselves and, and just be saying, yeah, we'll hold our hands up and accept responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, before we move on, uh, I've got to mention Dr. James Robson. You must have many... Memories of him, his yeah. last game at Murrayfield as uh, Scotland team doctor. Obviously, worked. You must have worked with him at the line. Yeah, the I did. Yeah, yeah. For, well, '97, brilliant. On in '97, um, didn't really have any need for him. I was 24. You don't need a doctor at 24. <laughs> you, you're fit as a fiddle. Uh, 2001, I spent far too much time with him because I did my cruciate and then uh, broke my ankle. In fact, he put my ankle back into place on a field in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't nice. I was fractured, dislocated it against uh, Bay of Plenty. Yeah, and then um, yeah. Spent the next three months in New Zealand, horrifically. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the surgeon said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we fixed your ankle. It's got a six-inch plate in it. The bad news is you can't fly home for two months. It's like, <laughs> I said, mate, that's not bad news. That's catastrophic news. <laughs> so, yeah. And the lines just went off on the, on the next day. But James Robson, magnificent. What a stint, really, as a, as a team doctor. And what a um, send-off for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know... Scots would just say it's normal now to beat England, isn't it? Well, I think so, unfortunately. Yeah. But anyway, looking back, obviously, uh, Caden, once you get back from your son in Portugal, you've got to start switching on for the Premiership. Quinn's being second behind Northampton, and obviously you're going to come up against them in the uh, big summer kickoff at Twickenham, which is on the 27th of April. I mean, how different are those games at Twickenham feel to 
being at the Stoop, um, I've heard a lot made this weekend about what a great atmosphere Murrayfield had and wouldn't it be great if we could have that for England matches. Now, obviously, when you have Quinns playing there, it's a completely different atmosphere to what you get for an England game. It must be pretty special to play there uh, for Quinns and hopefully, obviously, one day for England. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's an incredible atmosphere, I think. I was actually in the stands for the big game this year, so it was a bit of a different perspective after playing in the last four and... Yeah, the whole place was buzzing. I'm hoping we get a similar turnout to the big summer kickoff. Hopefully a bit of sun and obviously, you'd like to say, two of the two best attacking sides in the league going head-to-head, mm. -head, first versus second. So, yeah, it should be a good battle. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Is it a misnomer with that about Twickenham? Do they need to improve the atmosphere or is it do they need to improve um, the play first? I think just a, club one level, follow a, club the other. Level, a club level, I think it's superb. Really. Yeah. I, I just question what's going on. Uh, international level, I have to say. I mean, I'm... I haven't really um, had the match day experience for a while, but when I went there for the England Wales game, I was quite shocked at what I saw. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, for starters, there's you know way too many people outside buying drinks when the game's on. Yes, um, you know, and you get up out of your seat about sort of fifty times a game just to let people back in. So. I mean, compared to other places, the match day experience could be better. Um, I think when people arrive in a stadium and they leave, you can't guarantee that the 80 minutes is going to be perfect, no. especially in rugby. But what you can guarantee is you want to give people a great time from the minute they arrive to the minute they leave. And I don't think that happens at Twickenham no. as well as it could. But unfortunately, there is a uh, you know scarcity of tickets. Um, I mean, I paid... £167 each for two tickets to England Wales and I'm not sure I got my value for money if I'm honest with you. The one thing I noticed this weekend actually about being at football gets very criticised a lot but obviously with no alcohol inside the ground I actually got to sit down and watch the game and nobody left their seat until yeah, just before half-time. I mean, half I mean time. listen, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because I can not I can only imagine what profits they take behind the bar during, during a game, probably quite considerable, versus what they don't. And I don't know. But yes, I agree with you. Shut the bar for 80 minutes, keep everyone in the stadium. And, uh, and Twickenham make... would still sell out even if you, could, if you couldn't buy a drink during the game. Yeah, I agree. I think you'd probably get a very different demographic at the game as well. I think that was a big difference as well, how family orientated like the big games are and you have all these mm. youth and kids bring energy. And I think they're there to watch the rugby, watch their favourite players and they are invested for the full 80 minutes and excited about the whole game. And I think sometimes people are just, they literally go to Twickenham. It's the biggest pub in the world, isn't it? I think people go there just to drink and spend time with their mates. So yes, yeah, it's obviously very different. And with the ticket prices, you probably, that's probably yeah. part of the reason. But um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool to try and build this younger generation coming to international matches. So Caden, for you, just as a passing gift, um, obviously... You know, you're back from injury. It's great for you that you're back on the pitch. The Premiership's now the focus for, for yep. you and for Quinns. Summer tour, winning a place on that and trying to get yourself, um, you know, in, in, the, in that England squad. Are England going away? Or like yeah, New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, so, so, yeah exactly. So, um, I'm waiting yeah. until the Autumn I mean, Internationals. I, 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 know, <laughs> I know you don't jump too far ahead. Mm. You'll, you'll be saying, I just want to get back playing for, for Quinns and, and obviously we'll, you know, try and be part of a successful Premiership winning mm. side. But... Back in your mind, you're thinking, you know, I've got to try and get myself back in the England picture as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many squads have you been in now? And you've you've not been. Yeah, in fair fit. few. It's had an autumn loss, autumn Six Nations World Cup. Yeah, that must be so frustrating when you. It is frustrating, but look, it's I've got to just keep working on what I need to work on in the coach's eyes and keep playing week in week out. Obviously, the tough run of injuries at the start of the season probably hasn't helped my cause, mm. but um, yeah, obviously they're back in 
a few new players on form as well. Tommy Freeman, Faye were both on the wings who have been unbelievable in the Premiership this year. So yeah, hopefully I can emulate some of their form that they've had at the start of the season. And, yeah, get myself on that summer it tour. It sounds like you get more feedback now than you did under maybe the previous head coach when you were in squads under Mr. Jones, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, potentially. I think it's very much an open yeah. conversation now. Mm. Like we spoke about earlier, I think I, I'm, I can have that chat and I can send those messages and be a bit more open with Steve. So yeah, that's it's definitely a better relationship there. Yeah, I think it's confusing the feedback from Eddie Jones, that's all I have to say. <laughs> but, uh, well, listen, we wish you all the very best. If there's any consolation, I got into my first England squad in 93. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's a long time ago, Steve, Whoa. isn't it? Hey, heck, up 100 at number one, will I? Can't remember. When were you, what date were you born? 99. 99. I got, in, I got into the England <laughs> squad in, in 93, and I didn't make my debut for another two years mm-hmm. after that. So it does take time. Yeah. So you were four when... When he won the World Cup. Was, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, listen, we wish you, thank you for coming on no, again. Thank you very much. Um, yes, thank we're you. We're delighted you're back fit. Mm-hmm. Um, have a wonderful time in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> Find some space for us and, and good luck for the rest of the season for Quinns and uh, let's see you on that plane to New Zealand. Yeah, and we'll get you back in before you play in the Premiership playoff final. Yeah, that'd be cool. Look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, finally, tickets for the big summer kickoff are available now via the Quinns website and you'll find the link uh, in our episode notes so uh, get yourselves a few tickets and down to that one there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Right, should we get back to Saturday's game at Murrayfield? It's a good time to bring in the Evening Standards rugby correspondent, Nick Purawal. Nick, uh, you were up in Edinburgh. You saw it all unfold. What were the key messages that Steve Borthwick was saying post-match? Because um, he probably looked as frustrated as the rest of us. Well, I think he was trying to keep a lid on his anger, but uh, he couldn't stop the steam coming out of his ears, to be quite honest. (laughs) I don't think he's been so damning of his own team in the time he's been in charge, but he was doing that while being quite measured as well. But I think there'll be some difficult words said when uh, England reconvene in New York on Wednesday for training in this fallow week. And uh, I think some of those will basically be, from the coaches to the players, we believe the plan works, but if you stray from it, then it doesn't work. And when we tell you to do something, you've got to do it. And I think the players were fairly candid about, you know, deviating from the plan themselves anyway. So, you know, they seem to think they know what's wrong and they seem to think that the plan they do have 
will still deliver the goods. But I think this it's not really a team that can continue to develop as it's a team that's expected to win. That's what Mario Tojo was saying. We expect to win every game and that's the expectation upon us. Well, if that's the case, then it's time to start upping the levels, isn't it? I mean, listen, we'll, we must give enormous credit to Scotland, especially their player of the match, uh, Duan van der Merwe, who, who made history as the first Scot slash South African slash Scot to <laughs> get a hat-trick in a Calcutta Cup match. Uh, he was on fire. But what you're saying from, from Steve Borthwick's perspective is that the finger will be pointed in the direction of all the senior players, really, because it's admirable that Amara Toji said, um, you know, we played hot potato rugby and, and we went off plan. But really, what he should have said is, we as senior players have to take the responsibility for the fact that uh, we went off plan because, you know, with Jamie George, with Danny Kerr, with George Ford, with Maritoji, with the number of caps they've got between them, you know, they are the people that are in charge of executing that plan. And, um, you know, 22 turnovers and, um, and playing a little bit high-risk rugby at a time when, um, you know, when, you, when you're playing away from home is not the way to win games, is it? I think it's the most exciting game I've seen England be involved in for some time. So there's one level that says, well, credit to them because they're trying to do something different. But it only works if you can minimise that error count. And, you know, Steve Borthwick and, and everyone involved are saying that it will take time to build that attack. Well, I think you only have to look at Italy and Gonzalo Casadas had three matches in charge and their two-sided attack is extremely fluent. It's lovely to watch, but it's also making inroads. And forget the result because it was the same when they played England. And I think you can see that it is possible to build an attack quickly that can get the job done. And England are still not doing that. So it's right to ask questions now about why they can't. And you look at the tries that Scotland scored, and they are very capable of scoring tries very, very quickly. And the second Duhan van der Merwe try obviously comes from a poor England mistake. But being in the stadium, I think something that didn't quite come across on television coverage, on the replays I saw at least, was that as soon as he received the ball, he knew it was on to score. So he's 60 metres out. Straight away, he wasn't just looking at beating Ben Earl. He could see exactly, as soon as the ball was in his hands, he knew he was going to score, basically. He completely backed himself, and he didn't think twice, didn't second-guess it. And, you know, Scotland are a long way ahead of England in in that respect. And in 1972, the last time that Scotland beat England four times in a row, but 1896, the last time that Scotland beat England four times in a row in the Five Nations, and they've never done it in Six Nations before, Queen Victoria was still on the throne back then. So that tells you everything you need to know about the fact that this is almost uncharted territory for England and they should see it in those terms because it's not good enough. I don't think even you or I were alive then, were we long? <laughs> Queen Victoria, maybe no. not. So, so Nick, what do England do now to try and uh, reverse the tide and overcome? I mean, I stupidly last week said that England would beat Ireland at Twickenham, which looking now is probably the worst prediction I might have ever made. But then you never know. They might turn up and they might do it. What do you think? Well, I think there's a good chance that the plan all along would have been to bring Freddie Stewart back at fullback for this game anyway, because of the way Ireland will play. They'll put a lot in the air. They're very strong there anyway. So you'd have expected him potentially to come back. I do think George Furbank is a real talent and I want to see him get opportunities. I wonder if there's a chance that they could move him to the wing and in place of Elliot Daly, for example. But also, Emmanuel Feyuboso just looks born to it in many ways. There's obviously a reason why they're being cautious with him, and he hasn't been tested under the high ball, really, in Test Rugby yet, and I think that's perhaps where they're just, they don't want to expose him too soon. But really, in the long term, I, I half wonder whether Feyuboso is someone they should be looking to, to develop as a potential option at uh, inside centre. 
he's played centre before. He seems to have all, all, the, all the skills capable of that. And I think that's something that they should look at. Definitely. So we are working with QBE Business Insurance, who have produced their predictor for the Six Nations. And it's been pretty accurate so far, uh, Lowell. Uh, got two out of three right winners this weekend. It actually said Ireland 25, Wales 16, Scotland 23, England 22. The one it didn't get right, which just shows how hard it is to predict any rugby games was France 45, Italy 15, which was a draw. So the predictor has simulated the tournament 10,000 times, producing the outcome from 150,000 games with every match replicated by generating a number of tries, conversions and penalties scored by each team. Uh, so the final score for Ireland-Wales is actually 31-7. We all know how it played out at Murrayfield in the end and obviously we're talking about the draw 13-13 between Italy and France. Now, you made an interesting point to me uh, off-air, Lawrence, about kicks. Now, 13-13, they've got a chance, Italy, to create history and the ball falls off the tee. Paolo Galbisi, he then only had eight seconds to try and kick that penalty. Now, in my book, because the French had started to move forward towards the ball, which they shouldn't have done anyway because it was a penalty, he should have had another 40 seconds. Does the shot clock work? Well, you know, first and foremost, the... The laws around the non-kicking opposition players need to be clarified because uh, we saw the recent charge down of George Ford's kick. Mm. Um, you know, referees once uh, you know once the process has started, don't seem to want to send the players back again and say, "No, you set off too early." Personally, I wouldn't let players charge kicks down. I think it's a waste of time but I would speed up the process. So either go straight to drop goals like Sevens does or uh, you put a shot clock on, uh, it's 30 seconds, no charge downs allowed and uh, the uh, the clock starts when the kicker places the ball on the tee. I mean, placing a ball on a tee, taking a few steps backwards and having 30 seconds seems to me like plenty of time. And maybe, and what I would say is that if you start your run-up as in, if you're the kicker and you start your run-up before the 30 seconds has elapsed, you're allowed to take the kick. I mean, it's not like, sorry, you haven't moved yet. So, do you know what I mean? The, the, the kicker knows that he's got to get a, a routine in place that take, from the minute he puts the ball down on the tee, it's 30 seconds. He's not like anyone running towards him, all right? And as soon as he starts his run, he can still make the kick. You know, that for me is enough. Why do you think charge downs are a waste of time? Because I think the kickers have got a very difficult job. Oh. I really do, and I don't think it needs to be made that harder. Right. We just need to speed the game up, that's all. Right. Just need to speed the game up, simple as that. But on the plus side, looking at that game, you, you must have been delighted for the result for Italy. I think we were all rooting for Italy to win that game yeah. at the end. I'll be honest with you, whilst I didn't predict a draw, I thought Italy were going to play their best game against France. That you know They got hammered by Ireland, but they actually played very well. Uh, and you can see Wales have been hammered by Ireland, but they didn't play too badly. Um, they just gave away so many penalties in the match. And when you break that Wales performance down... I mean, there were moments they got down into Ireland's heart, you know, 22, quite a few times. They just did, they just came away with nothing. You know, Ireland were able to defensively shut them out. Every time Ireland went back up the other end, they got points. And that is the, what, the game of rugby union at the moment. You've got this block of rugby that happens in the middle between the two 22s. And then it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, you are going to get half a dozen opportunities down your opponent's end. And if you're bad, you don't take enough of them. And if you're really good, you take all of them. Scotland... 
didn't even have to get down our end of the field. They just took, what, three out of four opportunities, I think. And, and that's the game. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, that's what it is. It's about being ruthless. It's about being clinical. And it's about taking your opportunities when they present themselves. But very proud, disappointed they couldn't come away with a famous victory in Italy. I speculated uh, with producer Jules before we came on that the French either... They'd opened a load of doors and created a draft or somebody had opened the roof to blow that ball over because they they need something at the moment, don't they? They're in a bit of a mess. Something is not quite right within French rugby. Don't know whether there's a financial squeeze. You know, the, the sort of sidelining of Ibanez is there's more to that than meets the eye. You know, how can you have a team manager who's, you know, everything's hokey-cokey and then they lose one game in the World Cup and he's gone? That's definitely a personal relationship breakdown mm. between him and um, the man with those funny glasses that are even funnier than yours. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the French Thanks for that, yeah. Fab, Fabian Galtier. I mean, they are oversized glasses, aren't they? He's like, he's like Mike TV, isn't he? What, what is it? A little bit, yeah. I think, I think bigger, bigger rims are in fashion, aren't they? But not that big. No, I think he's he's gone back to Joe 90, isn't he? He's gone back to Joe uh, 90. Thunderbirds. And just pulled those out of the bag. He's a character. Yeah. But yeah, listen, things are not quite right in French rugby because, you know, a team that is that good, even without Anton Dupont, should not be, you know, drawing with Italy. Can you remember what the score was in the Rugby World Cup? France 60, Italy 7. I know. I mean, so, uh, what, yeah. a, what a turnaround. But that is all meant, it's all a mental process, isn't it, really? So, yeah, I would say that uh, there'll be a lot of question marks. And, you know, English rugby is continually asking questions about and, and examining ourselves. But I've got to say, the French will be asking similar questions and just saying, what the hell is going on here? So anyway, we've got this bizarre fallow week coming up. I guess we'll all have to start watching Top 14 in URC, won't we? Because there's nothing else to watch. And then we'll get into the next round of Six Nations games next week. But just looking ahead, just have a little sneaky peek at what the QBE predictor is forecasting for round four, which is Scotland will take on Italy. And that one is Scotland will win 35-14. In fact, it's predicting away wins in every game. So France will head to Cardiff and that one is going to be 23-16 to France, according to predictor. And then the big one for us, which is England against Ireland. And the QB predictor is saying 27-18. Is there any way that England can be at Ireland and She's not here, Sarah. She's here in spirit, obviously, but Mr. Sarah Elgin, Simon Easterby, has done an incredible job with that defence, hasn't he? And he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. Is there any way that England can overcome that defence? Uh, yes. Um, listen, in any game of rugby, the best team doesn't always win. I mean, I was lucky enough to play in a lot of wash sides that, um, you know, going into games, we, we weren't on results or form, we're not the best team, but you can win games of rugby. So, yeah, of course. I mean, listen, Ireland are magnificent. The coaching team, Easterby, Farrell, Cat, you know, they all deserve huge, huge credit. Paul O'Connell, you know, they've got a very, very good framework, methodology, structure, individuals, etc. banging form. And look, they're going for back-to-back grand slams which has never been done by a single side in the Six Nations. So they've got their own piece of history they're trying to create. But yeah, of course, teams can win. I mean, I, I don't agree with that QBE predictor. I think they're going to get one of those game results wrong. I don't know which one it is. I'm hoping it's England. Uh, but England can win this game, no doubt about it. There is a much bigger performance in all of those players. Um, so yeah, obviously Ireland starts favourites. But I can tell you now, if I was playing for my club against Leinster coming over here I'd expect to win I'd expect to win and I'd make it as hard as possible what England need to do is yes they're they're evolving their own style but you 
got to have a few little tricks up your sleeve. When you're not as good as your opponent, and I don't think England are as good as Ireland yet, in fact, by quite a long way, you need to have one or two little things up your sleeve. That's what the Scots used to do. Used to, you know, you can, you can ambush sides with a, with a change of tactics, with a couple of little cute manoeuvres. And I think we need to start thinking about being a little bit more innovative out on the rugby field. As a group of senior players, I'd be going, right, who can we get stuck into and wind up here a little bit and, and, and find a way of winning? Find a way to win. Don't just wait for things to happen. And we need an atmosphere like there was uh, two years ago. I remember it well when who was sent off right at the beginning of the game. Well, it was Charlie, Charlie Yule. Charlie Yule. But listen, it? It, it, you know, look, but the crowd were, were so behind the team then because they were up against it for virtually the entire wouldn't it, match. Wouldn't it be nice for England for a change to spoil someone else's party? Wouldn't it? It would. I mean, if if someone comes into your own home, you don't let them, you don't let them rob you of your possessions, do you? No. So if people, if Ireland want to come to Twickenham, you know, it's like having someone burgle your own home. Mm. You know, send them away. Simple as that. <laughs> Don't ever rob Mr. Delalio's home. That's all I'll say. Well, yeah. listen, we on that on that wonderfully bright and breezy note. <laughs> we will look ahead scared to round four in more detail next time. But uh, it only remains for me to thank our special guest, Caden Murley, and thanks, of course, to the Batman and Robin of the Evening Standard, Steve Cording and Nick Puriwell, and of course, thanks to Voxpod Studios. Does that make me Robin? Are you Batman? Am I Robin? We're like the Del Boy and Rodney, Batman and Robin, aren't we? Well, I'm definitely not Rodney. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll leave you two to argue that. We'll be back next week. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.